0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Jeremy's going to come out and start our series going through Jonah. So, are you guys excited about the new Jonah series? This is going to be pretty amazing. So, the title they came up with was Jonah the Racist Runaway. And so, you're like, Jonah. Like, I'm named Jonah. My mom named me after Jonah in the Bible, and now this is going to be awkward. Yes, it is. But um, it's okay. It's going to be all right. There's grace for you, even though your name's Jonah. So, um, you're like, like, awkward, Matt. Stop. Okay, but we're going to go through this uh, really, really famous book, and I'm not teaching it. Uh, Four guys are going to be teaching over four weeks. Um, Jeremy and Aaron are going to be preaching, Jay Harris is going to be preaching, and our friend um, Pastor Cameron Triggs will also be here one of the weeks uh, to preach through this amazing story. And so with that being said, I want you guys to welcome Jeremy out again to go through Jonah. Good morning. Good morning. All right. The sun broke through the clouds on September 16th, 1992, and God gifted Denise with another son, Nick, who would end up completing the trinity of all things music, the Jonas Brothers. Denise. What? Oh. Okay, uh, that makes more sense. I was (laughs) was looking through TMZ. I couldn't find anything about Jonas Brothers being racist, but okay. (laughs) Anyway, um... That's awkward. <laughs> kind of embarrassed, so. All right, uh, my name's Jeremy. Uh, I go to the Image Church. I'm not the pastor. Matt's the pastor. This is my second time teaching. I'm really glad everyone's here this morning. It's good to see you guys. It's not because, you know, you're getting more stuff from God for being here, but just it's really nice when our family comes together and we get to hang out and do community together. Um, but Matt said, we're doing a four-part series on Jonah, and it's probably one of the best known, uh, yet least understood books in the Bible, um, which is totally unrelated to why Matt's not preaching the next four weeks. Um, it's fine, Matt. Uh, take a break. <coughs> so, um, but from the point of view of the world, like, I told someone this morning that we're doing Jonah, and they're like, oh, Jonah and the whale, which is exactly what everyone thinks of Jonah. Jonah. Um, because the whale is almost as famous as Jonah. And from the world's point of view, like, it's this mythical, legendary story. Um, I mean, the world might have even made this the birthplace of the original fish story. So now we all have the license to exaggerate every story we ever tell. Um, so thank you, world, for that. Um, however, Jonah's not a fable. It's, he's a real person, and this book is very, very interesting. Um, He's recorded in Second Kings as a historical prophet, one who has ministered to Israel during the days of Jeroboam. Sometimes when I pronounce names in the Old Testament, I feel like I turn to Ace Ventura. I'm like, Jeroboam. <laughs> Jeroboam. Um, uh, but Jesus himself mentions Jonah in the Gospels. Uh, so we're going to read through the first chapter today. It's broken up into four chapters. That's why it's four weeks. And I just want you guys to remember that all of this stuff that's incredibly entertaining, confusing, and enlightening actually happen. Um, So I'm going to pray before we read, and then we'll get into it. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for getting us up. Thank you for um, coming to us and allowing us to have another day. Um, We pray that uh, you speak to us this morning, that you speak through me, that I can disappear, and that you can take the spotlight. Um, We're just excited that we have access to uh, your scriptures, so we can know you better. Um, In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, So the first slide I have is verse 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, um, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So we know Jonah is a real person, And when I read, I didn't used to do this, but now I go to seminary, so I'm super Christian. Uh, I'll I'll open up the uh, Bible, and then I'll just have a blank piece of paper, and I just write down questions. Because a lot of times I would just skim over the Bible, and if there was a question I didn't know, I didn't even think to ask. I'd just be like, well, that doesn't make sense. And just keep going. But if you slow down and just write out questions of things you don't know or people you don't know... And then look it up, it's a lot more um, rich. It's a lot more, um, yeah, again, enlightening. Like, it just comes more alive. So, um, with that being said, um, who is Nineveh? Um, Nineveh is the capital of this empire called Assyria. Um, And we see here that God's literally told Jonah to get up, go to Nineveh, and do what prophets do in the Old Testament, which is, say, the wrath of God's coming. You know, Um, it's pretty standard stuff so far. But what happens next? uh, You should get ready to massage your brains because you're going to be dumbfounded. So, here we go. Verse three. But Jonah rose and to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish, Tarshish. all right, Tarshish. Uh, (laughs) From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Uh, So he paid the fare and he went down into it. To go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So we obviously see, he said three times, going to Tarshish. Now wait, I, I personally God has never audibly spoken to me, but if I'm getting this right, He spoke to Jonah to get up, go to Nineveh, and Jonah decides he's going to go to Tarshish. Um, this is kind of a a big deal. And what makes this even crazier is kind of where he's going with this. So he was born near Bethlehem and Tarshish is about 500 miles to the east. And, I mean, sorry, Nineveh is about 500 miles to the east. And then he's going to Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles to the west. So it's literally, I think I have a map of it. It's literally the furthest place he could go away. So he's there, supposed to go there. And he just kind of goes down and then wants to go all the way over there. And at the time, I, I read that like in Spain, Tarshish, is the furthest possible place, the city that they knew of. So it's almost like Jonah said, go there. Okay, I'm going to go to the other end of the earth because that's how far away I want to get from this place. Um, on top of that, Jonah paid the fare um, to get on the boat. Now, this doesn't have huge theological implications, and I love looking into things too much. But uh, to be honest, I think it's pretty bold of Jonah. It shows something about where his heart's at. Um, you know, because if God tells me to do something and I don't want to do it, it's going to be like, okay, yeah, I'll be right there. Um, just looking for my lost dog over here. You know, like slowly, maybe like running from tree to tree to get away from God's satellite. Uh, I don't know, but Jonah, he's bold about it, and I kind of compare it to, uh, it's like a bold form of running from God, so I kind of compare it to streak walking, Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about streaking from up here, but I am, so (laughs) when someone streaks, hearts being out of their chest, run as fast as they can, scared, all that stuff, not that I would know, but Jonah, he's calmly walking in all of his glory, just like, I am? I'll go there, and I'll go to the opposite place, like the furthest place away I know of, and I'll pay the toll. That's, I mean, it is bold. He's bold, okay? So why did Jonah so boldly oppose God? Why does he, like, want nothing to do with Nineveh? That's the question we should be asking. So back to Nineveh. Um, the Assyrian Empire at the time was the biggest, baddest empire the world had ever seen up to that point. And they got there using a new military weapon called terror. Um, They're crazy. All right. So the Assyrian army was notorious for its brutality. Uh, They would, I I don't know, they would just do things that make 300 look like a G-rated movie. And, uh, you know, mutilating prisoners, resettling whole populations, they didn't care. They rejoiced in their butchery. Um, And victims told other people about it. So everyone's terrified of Assyria. Um, Actually, in the Old Testament, in Nahum 3, 1 through 3, it talks about, um, I think it's, oh, it's up here. It says, it talks about Nineveh. It says, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey. The crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot. Horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear. Hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies." So there's not a lot of timeshares in Nineveh because this isn't a place you kind of want to visit, right? Um, So this idolatrous, proud, ruthless nation bent on, you know, world conquest to say uh, also had long been a threat to Israel. Uh, They continually made war with Israel and they fought against the Jews. Uh, So no, Jonah wasn't keen on going into the heart of enemy territory. Um, but there's another twist. And uh, Jonah didn't oppose God just because he was afraid. Later in the book, we find out that Jonah opposed God because he was angry. Uh, the two reasons Jonah went to Nineveh, was, or didn't go to Nineveh, are fear and hate. Um, so to me, I'm kind of like a Pharisee a lot of times. Like, I'll read this, and I'll be like... Jonah's blowing it. He's terrible. God said to do this. and He's not doing it. Like, I would do it. I don't know. And when I first read it, I was like, God tells me to go somewhere? I'm going to go there. But then I read a a comparison of what it would kind of be like. And it kind of changed my uh, heart a little bit. So imagine being a Jewish man. So go ahead, imagine it. Uh, You know, this Jewish man who lives in New York in the 1940s. And God comes to him and says, hey, you need to go to Berlin and tell all the Nazis that uh, they need to repent because um, the wrath of God's coming against them? How would you feel? One, I would feel like, no way. I won't do that. They're killing all my brothers and sisters. I will be dead if I get within 100 miles of Berlin. Two, I don't want them to repent. They're doing all the most horrible, evil things to the people of God. So why would I want them to repent? So, That kind of made me sympathize a little bit with what Jonah's going going with here. Not that that's okay. I don't think that's right at all. But it kind of humanized Jonah for me a little bit. But in this first chapter, we're going to deal with fear. And later, the anger part comes out um, along, I think, like chapter three. But hashtag no spoilers. Okay. All right, let's keep reading. So now I'm going to read through the main part of chapter one. And it's a... It's a pretty awesome story, so sit back, kick your feet up, don't kick the person in front of you. Um, Verse 4, but the Lord, okay, so we know he's going to Tarshish, he's in the boat, he's paid his fare, he's out. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Nice. Uh, Arise, call out your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. I'm going to stop real quick. So I've heard the term casting lots a lot, but just reading it this week, I really didn't know what it was. So I figured if I didn't know, other people might know. Um, So casting a lot, it's it's mentioned like 70 times in the Old Testament, about seven times in the New Testament. Um, We don't know exactly how it went down. But it's something like drawing sticks, see who gets the shortest, maybe flipping a stone to see what side it lands on, or rolling some die. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> but the, the good thing about it is that, oh, here we go, um, that we know that in the New Testament it doesn't, it instructs us not to do that anymore. Um, so this was a, a way and a method to make a decision in the Old Testament, but now uh, because we have the completed word of God, uh, as well as the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of us, um, we don't need to cast lots anymore. Uh, so we have the word, the spirit, and prayer, and they're all sufficient in discerning God's will today. Um, but again, this didn't occur after Pentecost, uh, so they cast lots. Jonah got the short end of the stick, literally. And naturally, everyone's attention turned to Jonah, because they really wanted to know what he had to say. So we'll keep going. Verse 8. Then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? And the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Is that how you say that? Okay, cool. Thank you, English teachers. Um, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Tempest is storm at the sea. Nevertheless, the men rode hard back to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows." And that's the word of God. Okay. Um <clears throat> it's a very entertaining story. But when I read it, uh I have a pretty good imagination. Um, at least to myself I do. And something that always, always sends uh like shivers down my spine. Something I just it's even making my palms sweat right now. Let me just set up this scenario for you. You're in a plane, right? You're going over the Atlantic Ocean because you're really excited to go to Africa, Europe. I don't know. You can go to to Asia, wherever you want to go. You just see these clouds kind of forming. And you're like, oh, maybe we should go up a little bit. Uh, But they just start coming together more and more. And you're looking out because you can't really see the difference between the cloud and the sea. And then all of a sudden, as you're looking out the window, one of the engines blows. Right? And then the gas mass thing falls the oxygen mass, it's not gas, hopefully. <laughs> uh, and then it's rumbling and you're going down in the middle of the ocean. So, with that lovely thought, um, you survive the crash, okay? You're in the middle of the ocean, the rain's pounding, the waves are crashing, the lightning whipping. Um, I learned how to do that this week to do that. <clears throat> so, and in the, in the boat and the raft you're on is on the verge of capsizing. So, every time I see this in a movie, you know, whether it's Life of Pi, or uh, The Perfect Storm, or Castaway, because who doesn't love Castaway? Who doesn't love Tom Hanks? Who doesn't love Islands? I don't know. No one. We all love it. Um, I'm always watching it, like, kind of firmly in place, slowly rubbing my feet on the ground, just remembering that I'm on the ground. Because I can't think of anything more scary. Uh, But in this... You know a storm's bad when you have sailors who are just crying out to their own gods. Um, Have you guys ever been afraid, so afraid that you cried out to your own God? I have an example. It's not a good one because, like, I've heard, like, amazing stories with this, um, with Rachel um, as part of her testimony, and it's awesome. But mine was a little different. I was in South Carolina one time. And I met these Hawaiian guys, which I think they're called Hawaiians. Uh, and you know, they were like super cool, and they're like, "Hey, you should chill with us today." And I was like, "Okay." So they're showing me around town, and then they got to the point where like, "Hey, you want to go um, bomb this hill?" Which I didn't know what that meant, so I was kind of nervous. But then like, with a skateboard, I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." I'm not a skater. I know we have some skaters here. I know we have some fake skaters here, but no judgment. You can keep practicing. Um, so I'm not a skater. But I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. And I was looking at this hill that we went to. And it wasn't like K2 where it's like straight down. It was like a good. I was like, oh, OK. And so I see them get at the top. They're in a longer skateboard. So they're just like carving, doing super cool things all the way down. And they're like, hey, you want to try it? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. And uh, I get on the skateboard. I'm just like, yeah, this feels good. <clears throat> and they're like, don't start at the top, though. And I'm like, Why? I mean, it's the same slope the whole way. It's not like, why would I not start at the top? So I I get on the top, and after about three turns, my board just straightens, and I'm just going down. And, you know, things are running through my head at this point. I'm like bending my knees, and I'm like, okay, I'm going pretty fast. Okay, is it going faster than this? Can I I possibly go faster? And then all of a sudden, I get uh, the wobbles. Has anyone ever experienced that? Anyone know what the wobbles are? So apparently, if you go so fast on a skateboard, Satan curses your skateboard, (laughs) and your board just does this. So then, I'm going down, I feel like the wind in my face, and here's my body. (laughs) And what's going through my head is, my friend, I literally just had a friend who was a senior in college, who played college football, and he thought he was going to bomb this hill that That was, like, the turn back then. And he did it, fell. And when he fell, the first thing he hit was his arm, and his arm just went out. Okay. So now, I'm having that in my head. And I keep picking up steam. Like, I don't know. I might have been going near the speed of sound. I'm not sure. Thank you, world, for joining the whale. Uh, But, yeah, I'm just, I'm going so fast that I literally get to the point that I'm, like, yelling out loud, like, God, I'm sorry for everything I've done. Please. Just like, I'm naming sins I don't even know I have. Like, I'm just terrified. I really thought this was it. Like, I haven't got to the point where I'm yelling out, like, just let me die in an instant. Don't let me drag out, you know. Don't let me be a bleeder. Um, I don't know. It was really, really scary. Um, But, I don't know, that's kind of just... That's kind of the example I think of. Like, these guys are like seasoned sailors, right? And they've been through storms. But how bad does a storm have to be that they're call- all of them are calling out to their own gods, saying, help us? Um, and that's the interesting point about storms. Like, they have a way of revealing who we really are. Um, when faced with our own mortality, like, we very quickly realize and acknowledge that we have no control over our lives. Um, it doesn't matter what other people tell you or even what you tell yourself. It's just when the storms, trials, um, suffering, and death are all looking at us in the face, like it reveals to us down deep in our hearts that we know God and that we need God. I mean, because we cry out, right? Um, C.S. Lewis kind of explains it like this. If you want to know your basement you have to surprise your basement. Now, I know we're in Florida, so we don't even know what a basement is. I had to look it up on Google. Uh, but, you know, when you go into a basement and you want to see what's in the basement, you don't open the door, yell, make some noise, stomp down the stairs, and then turn on the light because you're not going to see anything. If you want to see what's really in your basement, you've got to open the door, jump down the steps, and look and see all the critters scurrying. Uh, that would probably be my basement. I don't know about yours. There would probably be a lot of uh, rodents. But, but this, is, this is how this works, too, with us. Like, our basement is that locked place in our heart uh, where we keep and hide our brokenness, our mess, um, our doubts, our ugly, right? And I know for me, my wife is a lot more courageous uh, than me about opening up what's really in her basement. Um, it's one of the you know, my favorite, favorite things about her. And I'm not what you would call a clean person. You can check out my car. Uh, But I do a pretty good job of cleaning up my basement before I let other people in to see what's in there. Um, But here's how I know where my heart really is when you're engaged to use your instincts and reflexes and you're not ready, you're not prepared for someone to come visit. Like, so when storms come and they catch you off guard, you're gonna see where your heart really is, right? Um, And normally, When they catch us off guard, we get really scared, like I said, because we know that we're fragile human beings. Um, And what happens when people get scared? People get religious. And that's what we're going to talk about next. So what do sailors do when the storm comes? They cry out to their gods. And I think verse 6 is so funny, and we should put that up there. um, Because they just have, I don't know, they're just, they're done. And the captain it's like, my God's not working. Popeye's God's not working. I don't know another sailor. Uh, Can your God work, please? It's like they're in just straight panic mode. They're like they're speed dating gods to see which one's marriage material. You know what I mean? Like they they they're just anything because they're burning so quickly through all these gods. Um, and how are their gods working out for them? Not great more and more panic. um, Because the problem is, when the storm comes and the things you worship other than the true God will sink in the boat with you. And that could be, you know, your job title. That could be your money. That could be your family. Um, They can all go down in a storm. So you will do your best to manage your storm, but ultimately your instincts cry out for something more. Okay. So after the lots are drawn, they ask Jonah, "Is uh, if that is his God that would send such a storm on him? Because this storm is just bananas crazy." And they say, "He says yes. This is who I am. This is my God. This is what He does." And um, they believe in Yahweh. It's like sweet end of story. Uh, Right? But no. Because then they say, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. What are they saying here? They're saying this. We believe... Now tell us what to do. Does this sound familiar? I mean, I think this is something our church really talks about and struggles with a lot. It's like, okay... I believe in God now, but now what do I do? What do I do? Um, but here's the thing. Like the sailors, um, our desire to know what to do next is coming out of fear. Um, Jesus isn't enough when we ask that. The sailors are calling out to Yahweh, but they're still just as scared as before when they're bargaining with God just as they were with their idols. Um What do they say after Jonah tells them to throw him in the water? So they ask, what do we do? And Jonah's like, yeah, throw him in the water. They're like, I think they just have this moment of like, God, okay, so your prophet just told us to throw him in the water because, you know, we're scared of the storm. We're scared of you because you made the storm, and we don't want to die, but we also can't have the blood of your prophet on our hands. What are we supposed to do? So they look at each other, and they just try rowing again. Like, because they don't even know what to do, and as we've already seen, you know, being non-religious doesn't help you in your storm. You're desperate. You burn through all your options very quickly. Um, and being religious doesn't help you or your fear either, because religion just acts like as a weight that just pulls you down faster. Why is that? Because you're all times at all times falling short of God's commandments. Be generous with your money. I mean, be very generous with your money. I fall short of that all the time. Care for the poor and the orphans. Just this morning, literally this morning, a guy came up to me and Jen as we were at Einstein Bagel. And he's like, hey, do you have any money? I just want to buy some meat from Publix. And I had a credit card. I didn't have any money. But I was just like, I was literally weighing how far Publix was away. I was like, "Mm, sorry, man, I have no cash. Okay. And he went off. And then what broke me was then he went to a car to ask another guy for money, and the guy just looked at him and just shut the door in his face without saying anything. And then he wouldn't even make eye contact with him. I was like, oh my gosh. And then Jen, Jen said, of course, I have cash. Why don't you ask me? I'm like, it's a good question. I don't know, because I'm a terrible person. Uh, or how about love your enemies? how are y'all doing with that? Like loving your enemies no matter what they do for you or what they've done to you, what they're doing to you to love your enemies. We are all falling short of that. Um, And the more you see how far you fall short of being righteous and actually doing what God says, the further and further away from the surface of the water uh, you're looking at when you're drowning. Meaning, when you see how much you don't stack up to what being righteous is, you actually see how far away it is, and so you're drowning, and you see no hope of getting to the surface. Um, So if religion doesn't help us with fear, what will? Um, Jonah says in verse 12, Pick me up and throw me in the sea. Um, Commentary sometimes, well, all the times, they debate on everything. Uh, But they'll say, you know... Is he saying that because he's basically saying, I failed, I disobeyed God, I deserve death? Or is he saying, do not save my life. I would rather die than go to Nineveh. <laughs> I'm not sure what he's saying, honestly. But it's probably somewhere in the middle of both those. And, uh, but it's interesting how Jonah adds, um, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So the sage Tim Keller uh, points out that at this point it's the first time Jonah actually starts thinking about someone else besides himself. That's interesting. He's he's looking at these sailors, saying, "Your lives are in jeopardy because of me. Um, it's not right. You shouldn't have to die for me. Um, it's not fair. I'm sorry." I, I should die for you. I'm going to die for you. Um, so I'm gonna die. Throw me in. Um, and then they were really scared, right? They didn't want to do it, but then they finally did. And what happens? In verse 15, it's calm. Um, so they packed up, or they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. So the storm's over, why are they still fearful? In verse 4 and 5, there's a storm, and there's fear. In verse 10 and 11, there's a bigger storm, so there's bigger fear. In verse 15, there's no storm, no fear? No, great fear. This is very interesting. And, um, you know, just a minute ago, these guys were literally messing their pants, saying... Please don't kill me. Don't kill us. Let us live. But something new has happened. Um, the new fear is one of amazement and awe and wonder in understanding who he is and how great God is. They have just witnessed a sacrifice of love. The sailors were trying to save Noah or Jonah. Wrong um, See, <laughs> But what Jonah um, was trying to say was, I don't want you to lose your life saving me. I would rather lose my life saving you. Throw me in. So he was a willing substitute. Is basically what he's saying. Um, he's someone who's saying, "I will die rather than you." And they were amazed at the sacrifice of love. Um, they were amazed at the wrath that God was bringing down upon him in the storm, so f- like furiously, and that God accepted this sacrifice of love. He calmed the seas afterwards. So as a result, they began to experience the real fear of God, which isn't cowering or being frightened of who God is, but it's being filled with awe and wonder with who he is. Um, It's a fear that casts out all other fear because it's an amazement of his love. In Matthew 12, um, the scribes and Pharisees they they come to Jesus and they say, you know, do us a miracle to prove who you say you are. Um, And Jesus says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. (sighs) What does that mean? Like, Right before this part where he's like, throw me in the sea, there's a lot of people in this building that are greater than Jonah in my mind because Jonah has not done anything that's that great. Um, But Jesus is saying that there's only one storm uh, that can truly sink you and destroy you. There's this one storm, one bomb, one fire, one disaster that can really take you out. And that's at the end of your life when you look at all the things you've done. How are you going to stand before God knowing what every person in here knows down deep that we're guilty? That's going to be the storm that's going to sink you. And yet Jesus says, I took the ultimate storm. I'm the ultimate Jonah. I went under not an ocean of water, but I went under an ocean of punishment and justice. I went under the only storm that could ever, ever take you out. And as a result, you will have calm eventually. That's the good news of the gospel. It's it's amazing, amazing news. Life's not guaranteed to be easy being a Christian. God actually makes it very clear that there's going to be suffering, trials, and pains, right? But we have hope, We are guilty of running away and rejecting God. All of us in here. Um, The storm of God's wrath is going to sink us. And nothing in this world um, is going to help us escape from his justice. That's the terrible news. Um, His storm should make us very, very afraid. But what should strike even more fear in our hearts is that in his great mercy and kindness, he poured out his wrath on his own son, who willingly died in our place so that we may live and live eternally. We had nothing, and by grace, he gave us literally everything. We can't get rid of fear by ourselves. We can't build a high enough wall to keep the scary things out. We can't buy an expensive enough insurance policy to make us feel safe. Um, We have to understand that the one who made the universe, the one who is all-powerful, loves us and the only way we know that is if we know that Jesus is the ultimate Jonah, the willing sacrifice, the one who said, "I will die for you." Now, I wasn't kidding earlier when I was saying uh, being in the middle of a storm in the sea when it's pitch black outside is like one of the scariest things I can ever think about. Like just trying to stay afloat, 90-foot waves up and down, crashing over. It's terrifying. And that's what makes this illustration of Jonah so powerful to me, is that I imagine being in this dark water, um, terrified of certain death, either from above or below, I don't know, and crying out, and Jesus meeting me there and saying, I will die for you, and the Father will restore you and give you new eternal life. You will never, ever be alone again. When I got married, uh, a friend of mine drew a picture um, and sent it to me for my um, wedding present. And so it's been hanging in my house by my front door ever since. Um, and I think I have a picture of it here. But underneath it, it's cool because I was doing this sermon because I was like, oh, great, just on my wall. Um, but it says, he is not safe, but he is good. Nothing about the story so far in Jonah has been safe. Sending Jonah to Nineveh is not safe. Sending a storm to the sailors is not safe. Sending Jonah off the boat in the middle of the storm, definitely not safe. But he is good. He shows mercy to Nineveh, his enemies, by warning them of his impending wrath. He shows mercy to the sailors who are Gentiles by calming the sea and rescuing them. And he shows mercy to Jonah, his own prophet, by pursuing him after his disobedience and sending a fish to rescue him. God is not safe, but he is good. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. That in the middle of our troubles, in the middle of our pains, that you are right there with us. You desire and you will um, sacrifice for us. You died on the cross for us in our place. You took all the wrath that we deserved in our place. And you give us the free gift of eternal life if we believe in you and trust in you. So this morning, I hope that we all wrestle with this fact that while we were in the middle of the storm that was perfectly just, For us to die in. That you absorbed it. And that you're making the sea very calm. Because you care for us and you love us. Amen. So right now we're going to do communion. Uh, If you're a Christian, we want you to come up um, and eat of the bread and of the juice uh, that represent his body and his blood. um, Just to remember what God has done for us. What Jesus has done for us. And if you're not a Christian... And you feel inside your soul that terror of being alone, the the terror of knowing that you you don't have a relationship with God and that you've cried out to him but you don't know what to do. Over here we're gonna have people that want to talk to you about becoming a Christian because you never ever ever have to be alone again. He wants to rescue you from the storm. That's his desire. And so we want to do everything we can for you to have a saving relationship with Jesus.